Hi, and welcome to Content People. I'm your host, Meredith Farley. I'm a former chief product officer turned chief operating officer turned CEO and founder. My agency is called Medberry. At Medberry, we work with founders, execs, and companies who want to tell their stories and grow. But Content People is not about me or Medberry. It's about the creative leaders and professionals that we interview every week. We'll delve into their journeys, unpack their insights, and ask them for practical advice. If you like it, please rate and subscribe. Let's get started. Hi, Clara. Morning. And thank you so much for doing this at Book Content People. I'm so happy to get to talk to you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. I love your TikTok. I think you're so funny. So I think listening might know you, but for folks who aren't super familiar with you, could you just explain a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I am a content creator and I started posting TikToks in, I guess it was February or March 2021. And the bulk of what I do are these PR parodies slash satire videos where I basically talk about very troubled celebrities or companies or public figures that are not doing the best PR job that they possibly could do. And it runs the gamut. So it's basically very pop, pop culture heavy, which is something that I really enjoy. They're so funny. They kill me. And I think you're also getting some good messages out there too. What made you start? What was your inspiration for doing them? Yeah. So I don't know if you watched this, but did you watch the Oprah interview of Harry and Meghan back in February 2021? I did. Oh, my God. Was that the inspo? It was the inspo because at one point, Megan was talking about how much she had been struggling while, you know, working in the royal family. And she was like, you know, I talked to HR to let them know how I was doing. And in my head, I was watching that just riveted. And I was like, Buckingham Palace has an HR department. That is so funny to me. But when you think about it, of course it does. It's a business. Basically, that is how it's run. And people work there. So I was like, this is so funny. And at that time, there was still a lot of the Prince Andrew stuff going on and the family defending them, defending him, et cetera, et cetera. So I was like, okay, I have to do something about this. And it was still pretty deep COVID. I was living by myself and I was quite bored. And and it was winter. I feel like if it had been posted, if that interview had gone live in the summer, I may not have started TikTok because I would have other things to do. But that's when it started. It started with HR. And then people started commenting, being like, what you're doing is more of a PR function. So I changed it to PR soon thereafter and grew my universe of clients, as it were, beyond Buckingham Palace. But that's how it started. I had, I can't even go back to look at them because it makes me cringe. But I had, I don't know, five to 10 first videos that were just Buckingham Palace HR. That's how it started. Oh my gosh. I love that. That's so interesting. And it also, I'm really in, happy in some ways that you said that thing about going back to your earlier stuff makes you feel a little bit cringe because I feel like so many folks who are doing something a little bit creative or working on some type of project, the cringe can be so deep and so real that they stop doing it. Yes. And I always love hearing from folks like you who are, you have such a huge audience who you evolved what you were doing, but you worked through it. There's this uh, friend of mine, Isabel, who actually listens to this. She might be listening. She posts a lot online about feeling cringe. Mm -hmm. Was it hard for you? How did you work through it? 
what was the inspo to keep going? It was very hard for me. I work in a very traditional kind of corporate setting. So creativity is not really a huge part of it beyond like a fun little email here and there. But it's, you know, it's very traditional. My creative muscles are not really used. So I feel like I had to get out of that setting and into a more creative setting for TikTok and all of the other social media stuff that I do. And it definitely took me a while. Like I felt very self-conscious and I still feel self-conscious often. It makes you feel very self-aware of what you're posting when other people are watching you. And at the beginning when no one's watching, you're just like, oh, who cares? No one's actually watching. But then as you start to gain an audience, it's oh, are all these people realizing how embarrassing I'm being? Like, are all these people cringing alongside me? And at one point, you stop caring about the cringe. You still feel it, but you stop caring as much. It's just more fun that way. But no, I feel like I've improved a lot since I first started. It's really quite cringe. I can't even go back to delete the old videos because I can't look at myself. Imagine. But no, it's it's fun and you learn and you get better. And that's just how it is with anything. It's just with this, you're doing it alongside a public audience, which makes it a bit harder. Yes, I can't imagine you doing anything cringe. And I'm so glad that you pushed through it and kept going. And I think that <laughs> would inspire some people who are listening to know that if you feel cringe, it doesn't mean you're bad and you should stop. It's just what everyone feels when they start anything slightly creative and vulnerable. So I thank you for sharing that. And I do remember when we first talked, you mentioned that, not to like harp on this, but you're like, I don't like my own voice, which no. shocked, shocked me. <laughs> I, voice. I think it's so funny and such a, not your voice isn't funny, but I think like you are so funny and it Thank just, you. I it's helpful when folks like you say things like that, because I think it can make other people who might have a hang up or a thought be like, maybe I'm wrong about myself. Um, and I'll say for myself, too, like, I hate my own voice. I hate listening back to the podcast. And when people right. do something complimentary to me about my voice, I still always think they're lying. Like, I, I don't believe them. But exactly. Yeah, I feel like I have a more distinctive voice than I realized before I started social media. Like people recognize me sometimes just based on my voice. And I didn't think that was a thing that was possible for me. But yeah, people comment one way or the other. They're just like, oh, I love your voice. You can narrate anything for me, etc. And people are just like, wow, I stopped watching you because I can't stand your voice. <laughs> they do that to you, to your face? No, just like via comment, of course. And they never say things to you, to your face. It's always via comments, which is fine. It's okay. Just not for everyone. Yeah. Do you get a lot of negative comments? Is it hard to deal with? Not a lot. I used to get more, maybe. It's funny. I feel like as my audience got bigger, I think people stop thinking that you read their comments as your audience oh, yeah. gets bigger. They're less mean sometimes in the comments when it's more people. But no, I used to get more comments about my voice than I do now on the podcast sometimes. So I have a podcast with my friend, Claire Brown, who's also a content creator. And there are some comments and Claire's always just like, don't read the reviews, don't read the reviews. But I do because I can't help it. But there are comments that are just like, I had to stop listening to the podcast. It's so good. And there are so many interesting things being said. But Clara's voice is like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> that is just not like, true. And I can't believe someone wrote that about you, Clara. That's making me feel so you. weird. It is very weird to feel empowered to say something like that but it's fine it's my voice I can't change it so it is what it is I can diminish the vocal fry a little bit if I make an effort but 
It is what it is. I'm 30 years old. I don't think my voice is going to change much at this point in time. Yeah, it's a lesson. It's an ongoing lesson. <laughs> it's funny. I never really thought about this. There's all these like stories over the years of like great writers or artists who couldn't read their reviews. And if you think about it now, anyone who's like a like a really popular content creator like yourself, you have a huge audience and you have so many people who could be critics with zero filter and zero so what I'm looking for, like, I don't know, a critic has at least like a background in an art, but just people with zero basis who could just come at you every day and you'd have to read that and decide, do I feel like I want to like keep I going know. today? That's I I know. Know. I thought about it like that. But yeah, usually when a video gets enough view, or not enough, a certain amount of views. So if it goes over, I don't know, 200,000 or something or 100,000. I stop reading the comments as much like I scan them just in case there's anything rude or offensive I need to remove but otherwise I see them every now and again but I I can't look at everything just because there are crazies that slip in once the audience once your audience stops being just the people who follow you and just and become strangers from the internet and they're all strangers but the people who know you react differently to your content so once it gains enough traction, you start getting different comments than you usually would. So that's usually when I stop looking at the comments as much. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about just the, when the platform in general. So so many folks and probably some listeners want to grow on that platform. And I'm wondering, yeah. what has your journey been? Do you have any advice? How do you think you've become so incredibly popular? Yeah, I don't think, and we talked about this before, but I don't really think there's a secret formula to success on social media or on TikTok specifically. I think TikTok rewards consistency and hard work, and I'm saying that in quotes, and just there's a lot of luck involved. But I think that the algorithm, the famous algorithm, just rewards consistency. So at the beginning, I was doing pretty much a video every single day. For months and I don't know how I did that there was a lot of pop culture news going on when I first started and I had more time but yeah I was doing a lot of videos and I think that helped get on people's for you page because there were there was so much content that I was putting out nowadays I just do like two videos a week just because I have more things going on and I feel like they take me longer to think about and plan as I make them better hopefully but I think there's a lot of luck involved, right? So people who started very mid-pandemic, right? In the very beginning of COVID, and there weren't that many content creators on the app and that favored people who started early. So those people maybe got more famous than they would have had they started in 2021 or 2022. So I think there's a lot of luck involved. There's talent, sure, but there's a lot of less talented people that are famous as well. So I think it's just consistency, hard work, a lot of luck, and like a tiny kernel of talent. But otherwise, it's a lot of factors that are outside of your control, honestly, because the algorithm changes so much and it's so black boxy. Like you don't really know how it works. And sometimes a video that I think will do really well gets like a fraction of the views that I think it that I think it would have gotten. 
So you just have to roll with the punches and see what works and see what the audience enjoys and what you get a lot of engagement out of. I love analyzing my own data. I think it's entertaining. So I think look at what you're doing, the response that it's getting, even if it's not getting a ton of views, does it get a ton of engagement? And that matters a lot. Put out content that the audience that you have now will enjoy. And I think that will bring more people in. Do things like time of day that you post matter on TikTok or not so much because they're so around in the ether for a while? Yeah, I usually post. So I'm in Eastern time. I usually post in the evening. So 6, 7, 8 p.m. Eastern. And that usually works for me. But I've posted at other times and it's fine. I think as long as you post at a consistent time every time that you post, that's what allows more people to come to your channel because they expect consistency from you. They expect a certain time from you. So I think that's a lot of people I will get messages being like, oh, I saw this happen. And I ran to your channel immediately to see what you would have to say about it. And they don't tell me what time they ran to my channel, but I assume they don't run to it in the morning because I usually don't post in the mornings. I think if you're famous enough and I'm not, I feel like you can post whenever and people will watch. But if you're a mid-tier content creator, I think consistent times are a good thing. What is your content creation process like from sourcing or deciding on your story to if you script it out, how long does it take you? How long does it take to edit? I'm really curious. Yeah. So it depends based on the topic. I'm on Twitter, X formerly known as Twitter, which is another subject, but I love Twitter. I loved it more before, but it's still a tool that I use a lot. And that's where I get a lot of my PR news just to see what a lot of people are talking about and kind of base what I want to talk about based on that. Just it's a good place for pop culture specifically. Um, not as much news anymore, but definitely pop culture and culture generally. And otherwise just the general news I read and figure out what's interesting that day, if anything. And then once I figure out what I want to talk about, I tinker with it throughout the day, just in my head. And then I sit down to record and I don't script it out before. I do a few takes just to see what it'll sound like, what the script itself will sound like. And from there, I just improvise it until it's cohesive and until it follows a real script. At that point, I do a few more takes and then that's it. And then editing takes probably, I don't know, 20 minutes. I do it all usually in one take. So it's not super difficult editing. I just add captions basically and cut the beginning at the end. Yeah, all in all, it probably takes me about, I don't know, one and a half hours to do a video if you take in all of the thinking that takes place. So yeah, it's fun for me though. It's like I said, I have a very traditional full-time regular job so it's nice to flex a bit more creativity outside of the job I, th I think I would have guessed that you scripted it so it's really it, I, that process sounds interesting to me and also sounds so creative like deciding the story in the morning and letting yourself consciously and unconsciously just play around with it throughout the day yeah. And sometimes I'll think of a line and I'm like, oh, that should go in the video and I'll write that down. But usually it's just me thinking about how ridiculous it is, how bad the response is being. So I'm working on my outrage throughout the day <laughs> and then that gets manifested in the video. 
So it's good. You also have a really popular Substack, and that's interesting. <laughs> Love the title. And you've got more than 10K subscribers. I want to dig into that a bit too, because I know so many listeners have newsletters, want to have newsletters, or want to grow their newsletters. And I love to hear you talk about why you started it and how you built it out. Yeah. So I love my newsletter. It's my favorite thing that I do right now, content-wise. I really love writing, and I've always loved writing more so than performing. So I never thought I would get so many followers on TikTok and Instagram via my quote-unquote performances. So this is a very, it's been a very natural pivot for me to make a Substack. So I started it March 2022, I think. And I wrote for a year consistently before turning on paid subscriptions. So I had a year's worth of like dozens and dozens of posts. And then I monetized it in March of this year. And it's been great. It makes me be consistent when I know that there are paying subscribers, basically. So I do one paid post a week and one free post a week. And I just write about culture usually. And I say all the things that I don't have time to say on TikTok and Instagram. There's very little space for nuance when you're doing short, funny videos. And I sometimes I hate to think that that people believe I don't have thoughts outside of what I say on these videos. So I'm just like, no, I think about this. I promise. I think about all the pros and cons and the back and forth and the implications of what's happening. I think it's basically that. It's the background of all of the videos that I do. And I think it's helpful for me and for the audience to figure out where I'm coming from and the angle at which I arrive when I do the videos because they have the explanation from the substack, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. I think that's really interesting. And I think something that's so complex about social media in general is exactly what you're saying. There's frameworks that so many folks feel they have to operate in to get viewers or clicks. Mm -hmm. And beyond those frameworks, any nuance, it's just is so hard. That makes a lot of sense. It's really interesting. I really do love your substack. As you're talking about it, I'm thinking like, I don't know if this feels right, but it's like TikTok is almost the exaggerated character persona of these ideas. And then the Substack is like you and your actual voice and take on them. Does that? Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, I feel like TikTok is like the top of the iceberg. And then Substack is just, okay, here's how the iceberg happened. So it's really fun. And yeah, I just love writing. And it's been a great project for me, honestly. And I can see myself writing this up stack for a long time because writing, I feel, will last forever. And you never know with other platforms like TikTok, Reels, like something could change tomorrow that could make it less feasible for people or less entertaining for people. So it's really nice for me to have a platform like Substack. And I sound like I'm promoting Substack. I'm not. <laughs> but it's fun for me to have a, a platform like the newsletter that kind of allows me to elaborate in a way that TikTok doesn't. Yeah, Yeah, no, I I love Substack. I have my own Substack. Mm -hmm. And with clients, one of the things that my agency helps them with is newsletters. And I've actually been really recommending and working with them in Substack more and more because with like MailChimp, you can collect the emails, but it's 
you don't have that permanent spot that folks could mm-hmm. navigate over to look at read through your stuff from like the past two years and get a sense yeah. of you and then also there's that I really like the kind of cross promotion that's available within the platform and the way you can get more subscribers by friends on the platform recommending yeah. you like I love Substack though I wish there was a better option where you could turn off a little more of the Substack branding at this point for oh. business was it natural you had such a big following that the moment you put up a Substack, people were like subscribe or did you feel like you had to work at what people were responding to and how to grow your followers in a similar way to TikTok I had a base just from, yeah, from my TikTok and Instagram following, but it wasn't a lot. It was just like a couple thousand subscribers, I think. And I've been growing, especially this year, it's grown a lot, I think, because I've been promoting it more on Instagram and TikTok. And that kind of cross promotion between platforms has been really helpful for me, I think, because while it's natural for me, I don't think people see what I do as naturally inclined to writing. So it's been, I feel like I've had to convince people like, oh, no, I promise the subset is good. Like it's not it won't be as cringe as the TikToks that you watch. It's OK. I feel very annoying every time I talk about it because it's just, like, oh, I know you already follow me on this platform, but please also follow me on the secondary platform that you have to leave this app for, make an account for it and read my writing. It's it feels like a constant demanding attention from people being a content creator. And once you're on one platform, fine. but When the point comes that you ask people to leave that platform and follow you on another one, it's just, oh, Clara, shut up already. We get it. But I do it anyways. I try to control myself to limit myself to just like a few times a week or like a couple times a week. But I think it's important to promote yourself. And it's very annoying to do, maybe especially as a woman, to ask for attention like that. I feel, I think that before I thought, well, it'll come. I don't have to ask for it. Just by putting good work out there, like people will just naturally follow. And that doesn't always happen. You have to push people. And it feels annoying and it feels uncomfortable, but I think it's important to do and to push through that discomfort. And maybe you will, maybe some people will unfollow you because they're like, oh, you're quite annoying, aren't you? And that's okay. But most people won't. And I've had a lot of people follow me to Substack and be like, oh, I didn't realize that you also wrote. This is great. It's a lot. It's it's a process. But I'm grateful for people who choose to follow you across platforms because I know that's that's a lot. That's a lot of attention and that's a lot of trust that the audience is giving you. So I really appreciate it. And I think it's part of just building a strong brand is that people will follow you through platforms because they know that what the content that you put out on one will, you know, be as good in another one. Yeah, totally. There was this thing, a lot of my work with clients is on LinkedIn and there was something that happened maybe, I don't know, six weeks ago where LinkedIn slightly tweaked its algorithm and people who had really big followings were getting really low impressions and comments and likes and stuff for a day. And the whole platform freaked out and everyone was posting, never trust one platform, build up your newsletter list. And so True. what you're saying with TikTok, I'm like, I can see the, I can, it, that makes a lot of sense. But also as you're talking, it's so interesting that you f- feel like it's a demand on folks to go follow your Substack because I actually, when I found out you had a Substack was like, Yes, like more <laughs> content from her. Thank you. Um, but I do, 
I think when you talk about maybe it's a little different for women, I think that's really interesting. I interviewed Eliza Licht, who is a, a branding expert. She yeah, no, we're mutual. Oh, okay. I, I like yeah. know about her and her. <laughs> She's great. And she, I asked her in the interview, do you think personal branding is different for men than women? And she said I was like the only person on the whole book tour who'd asked that, which I was really surprised by. And I don't think was like me being an amazing interviewer. I think for women and who do stuff and want to promote their own stuff, it can feel maybe an extra level of worry or cringe around asking folks to do mm -hmm. it. I don't know. Do you as if do you feel like the male content creators seem to have more chill about that? Or have you observed anything? Yeah, I think they're very comfortable promoting themselves generally. I think men generally are because they it's natural for them. It's more natural than it is for us. I feel like for us, we're, okay, keep your head down, do the work, and the reward of it will come. And that is rarely true. That is rarely true for women, especially because we are taught to, to believe that like the work is the reward, which to a certain degree is true. I love what I do on social media, but it has to be followed by something. So asking for that attention is very, it's very uncomfortable. And I don't see most men having the same problem or the same discomfort that women do. Have you heard of this book called The Likeability Trap? I've heard of it. I haven't read it though. Oh my, it's, I really love it. It's by, I think it's Alicia Mendez, but I will edit that if I get it wrong. Okay. Um, <laughs> but it, it's a, she talks so much about likability in women and how it's so important that we're likable and there are rules for likability that would include things like not demanding attention, not asking for things. So it's like your, your hand, I think women's hands are sometimes a little more tied when it comes to trying to promote something they're doing because you have to promote it to do it, but you also have to be careful about the ways in which you're promoting it so as not to be seen as asking too much, self-centered, et cetera. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, I feel so self-involved all the time that I'm on Instagram. And especially once a video, for example, does really well and I get more people sharing it and like looking at it and commenting, it's like, oh, like all these people are like aware of who I am. That's so uncomfortable because we're regular people, right? We exist in the real world. We're not famous people. So it's just, it's uncomfortable sometimes to be known by so many people that I never expected to. And it's a good thing, right? Because obviously if I'm posting things on social media, then I want an audience. But at the same time, it feels uncomfortable. And then to constantly demand that audience to keep following you and to keep engaging with you and to follow you on Substack, follow you on Instagram, follow you on Twitter, follow you on TikTok. It's just there are so many platforms and keeping up good content for all of them is difficult. So yeah, I got off on a tangent there for a second, but it's just, it is a lot of attention seeking and I don't I've never been comfortable with that and I've had to become more comfortable with it just over time because you have to be to maintain success or to grow on social media I think you can't be chill and keep your head down you have even if you're sneakily promoting yourself you have to do it because otherwise people who are more comfortable with it and they have a right to be will take over so yeah I, I love that for folks listening who maybe 
want to emulate what you've done, but they feel a lot of those feelings of, I feel uncomfortable promoting myself. Do you have any advice for them? What do you tell yourself when you're in the moments of I tell myself that it's probably more in my head than anything else, right? Because I think there's this tendency of people who grow a lot and in a relatively short time frame on social media to suddenly start thinking that they're at the center of the world and that everyone wants their opinion on everything. And I have to remind myself that is not the case. And with every little thing that happens, I don't have to offer my two cents. I don't have to, I'm thinking of myself way more than other people are thinking of me. And that's a good thing because you don't want people to be thinking about you all the time, strangers especially. So I just have to remind myself of that very frequently and to just not let my head get too big, first of all, and to not get overwhelmed with the audience. So I think that's what's helpful for me. Yeah. Oh, I really like that you could put out as many whatever posts, newsletters, et cetera, as you like. People might see them, but it's not going to take up their mental landscape. So exactly. Yeah. So sometimes my friends, my content creator friends will We'll text each other and we'll be like, oh my God, should I post this? I don't know. What will people think? Could it be like really bad? And it's always at the end of the day, no one really cares. Maybe they'll care for a day, but as long as it's not rude or offensive, then people will get over it and that's fine. So I think that's part of experimenting too with your content and growing with your content is doing things a little bit different every now and again. And that could open you up to a whole new audience. Um, I started doing these literary videos on TikTok and that's my own little niche. I am very much a literature nerd and I was just like, probably no one will watch this and that's fine because I'm having fun doing it and people have watched it, but it's just like there are experiments that I've done that people haven't watched and I'm like, okay, maybe don't do this next time and that's okay. It's just you learn and you grow and some things get a lot of engagement, a lot of views and some things don't and that's okay. So I know you also have a literary podcast. Could you Mm -hmm. talk about the podcast a little bit? Yes. So my friend, Claire Brown, and I, she's also on social media. We've been friends for a long time because we were both fashion bloggers for a little bit. She was a more successful one than I was, but that's how we originally met years and years ago on social media before either of us started doing kind of comedy content creation. But we were talking about how we were both huge fans of literature and both read an outrageous amount of books. And we were like, oh, how about we start something with reading? And both of our audiences seem to really enjoy when we post about literature and and books. So why not do a podcast? That's how we started. And I think we started, I think our first episode was February of this year. So we did one season. It's called One More Chapter with Clara and Claire (laughs) and we're gearing up for season two now and it's just fun we talk about one book per episode and we just do a basically quick little summary and then our reactions to the books that we're reading and it's fun because we have different perspectives on a lot of things yeah I'm super in for any literary podcast especially if you're on it what how do you choose the books that you cover We do a mix of new books and old books. Last season, we did Jane Eyre was one of them. And then we did Tomorrow and Tomorrow, which I don't know if you read, but is 
heard it's good things. It's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful book. We try to pick books that a lot of people have read. That way we know that people will be interested in listening to us talk about them. But yeah, we're coming up with our list for season two this week. Should be good. Nice. Clara, is there anything that I didn't ask that you feel like, oh, you might want to say or talk about? I don't think so. No, I think I ranted about a lot of things. It was so one, so cool to get to hear your behind the scenes take on it. And I also appreciate you being really real with a lot of your feelings on it because it resonates with me. And I think a lot of listeners will be inspired by the fact that even someone as successful as you feels that way. So I really am so thankful and appreciative of everything you said. For Thank folks who you. want to follow you, wh- what are your handles? Where can I know. They- I'm sneakily self-promoted <laughs> throughout this entire episode. I am Color Me Loverly literally everywhere. I came up with it when I was 17, I think, and I haven't updated it since. So I'm Color Me Loverly on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and my newsletter is that's interesting which i say in real life all of the time but it's also coloremeloverly.substack.com what else oh and the podcast is one more chapter with claire with clara and claire i always forget the order so yeah i am everywhere we will put all of those in the show notes everyone listening i really encourage you to check it out it's all really great fun thoughtful awesome content And Clara, I'm so grateful that you talked to me. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Thank you for having me. I loved it. All right, folks. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe or review us. And if you want to check out our newsletter, Content People, it is in the show notes. See you next time. Bye.